Beyond the four walls of our local church building is the church, the universal body of Christ, a vibrant living organism. It's eclectic, it's bold, it's colourful, and it's resilient. A cacophony of languages, sounds, people, and practices where every voice comes together to tell the story of God throughout the centuries. I'm your host, Jordan, from Open Doors, and together we'll hear from people from all over the global church and meet believers who follow Jesus in some of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. In the face of tremendous pressure, God is moving. This is The Whole Story. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Whole Story podcast. This is our February episode. It feels like I was just with you in December and here we are already in February. I hope you had a really nice start to the year, um, a nice easy start and uh, you're feeling ready for another uh, fantastic year, 2024. Um, And we're just so grateful that you uh, come along with us on the journey and you've joined us again uh, for a new year. Now, I pulled out the big guns for our first episode back of the year. Our guest this month on the podcast is Matthew Barnes. He is absolutely fantastic. He works for Open Doors International as a spokesperson for the Middle East. So I actually first connected with Matthew uh, when the war started between Israel and Gaza. That was in October of 2023. And he was in really close contact with the church in Gaza. Uh, He's been keeping us updated on the situation for Christians in amongst the absolute devastation that they're facing. So we we do talk about uh, that a little bit today. We also talk about the trends that we're seeing more widely of Christians that are feeling less and less at home in the Middle East, despite the region being the birthplace of Christianity. That was one of the findings of the World Watch List, which was released in January. So uh, yeah, we we talk a little bit about that. Uh, We We also talk about Syria. I caught him right off the back of his trip to Syria. He was in Syria um, earlier in January. And so he shares a little bit about that. Um, He was seeing how they were rebuilding and recovering after the earthquake, which was a year ago this month. Uh, And he gave me some insight into what life is really like for Syrian Christians, which really opened my eyes. And I, I felt quite confronted and humbled by how desperate life is for believers there. But as always, God is moving in some of the most desperate and dangerous places in the world. Matthew shared uh, some beautiful stories of how God is strengthening the church in Syria and the Middle East more widely. I always love chatting with Matthew. He's so passionate about the Middle East and he so deeply loves our family there. And I always leave our conversations feeling so much more connected to the body of Christ in the Middle East. So I pray that that is your experience as well. I won't keep you waiting any longer. Here is Matthew Barnes, Open Doors spokesperson and communicator for the Middle East, North Africa region. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, We're online today because we're in very different countries, but it's just so nice using modern technology to be able to connect. Yes, welcome. And I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, I always love chatting with you. And uh, it's just great to be able to sit down with you and hear a little bit more uh, about the Middle East, uh, especially in light of the newly released World Watch List. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you, Matthew? Where do you live and what's your role uh, within Open Doors? Okay, uh, so my name is Matthew. I'm living in the Netherlands, uh, working uh, 
for this organization some 13 years right now. Um, I'm in my 60s, married, six children, four grandchildren, so having a family life here. Um, and what I do is uh, I'm working for the communications uh, department of um, the what we call the MENA office, the Middle East and North Africa office of um, uh, North. And um, that means that I travel quite a bit to the field, meet with the people, interview them and listen to their stories and try to share them with you. And that's literally what you're here to do. You just got back from the Middle East. Can you tell us a little bit about where you went and maybe what you were doing there? Yes, of course. Um, now, recently I've been, of last week, uh, I returned from, from Syria. I've been there for uh, about 10 days. And what I went to do there was seeing uh, what is the impact of all the work we've done right after the earthquake. Because the earthquake was a year ago, more or less, right now. And um, yeah, we've, we've had a huge operation to help the Christian people that were affected by this earthquake. Why? Because we, we don't want to give them an extra reason to, to live, leave their country. Uh, and what I've seen is really amazing because uh, um, our partners in the field, the churches, they have, through our support, done an amazing job. Uh, many houses were restored. I, I can tell about that. Uh, we, we've helped people with with money so that they could survive, that they could buy their their food. We've helped with rent. Uh, now we we give them hope again, and that's what I really saw in the eyes of many people. That is so amazing because, like you mentioned, it's been exactly a year since that huge uh, earthquake, well, two earthquakes really, just really rocked northern Syria and southern Turkey. Um, we actually had some friends on the podcast just recently who had been in Turkey and they updated us on the state of Turkey uh, in the aftermath of the earthquake. But you've just been in Syria. What has the recovery been like? Is it, it are the buildings still destroyed? Um, is there, does it feel like, uh, you know, it's, it's moved on a little bit um, or does it still feel, you know, just that, that devastating feeling um, there in, 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 uh, in um, northern Syria? Mm-hmm. Um, now, then, then, then I have to paint a little bit the, the whole situation of the country before because when, when you talk about destruction, um, what you see in Syria is not only destruction of this earthquake that hit the country a year ago, but it's also the destruction of 13 years of, of war, of conflict. Um, for example, I, I was driving in the country, driving from one city to the other. And one time I looked at my watch just to see, to, to give you an, uh, an image. Um, we were driving uh, from one city and there the destruction started. Whole neighborhoods were, were just totally destroyed. And it took one and a half hour driving to leave the destruction. So one and a half hour with a speed of 80 till 120, we drove and we saw just destroyed cities, destroyed villages, totally emptied by people. And that's what you see. So the Driving around there in some parts of the country is really depressing. So, but then returning to the earthquake, yes, you still can see that that buildings are destroyed because of the earthquake. In in the neighborhoods I stayed, you, you could see several 
collapsed buildings that were still standing there. Um, but as I said, I came there to see the impact of what we've done as an organization, what we've done with the support of so many faithful supporters around the world. And that's really encouraging because I saw how um, houses, apartments were restored by us. People uh, are living in there again. And uh, until now, we've done uh, 2,004 apartments. So that's quite a huge number. So more than 2,000 families returned to their homes. And what you hear from them, they say, say you've done even more than we expected. You, you've made our house new again. And that's then that you see them smiling and shining. And, and that's really so amazing to see. That is really beautiful. I just heard a story recently about um, a woman who's uh, her home was being restored and there was only one room done and they were so excited that just one room was done that they moved into that one room even though the rest of the house was still still in renovation there were you know trades there um you know everything smelled like paint and their belongings were covered in plastic but it was just the fact that they were home they were home and you know there's there's so much um power to restoring someone's home because it's not just about the physical home is it it's about the restoration of safety and hope and normality and a place you know that that they can call their own can you talk us through a, a little bit about how people um, maybe are feeling when they do kind of move into their new home that's been restored yeah there, there's I, I've not witnessed that moment that they came there for the first time but people described it to me they said they they came in with excitement and some some were even a little bit scared thinking oh we will still see uh, all those repair, repaired cracks in the walls but that's one of the amazing things i believe that the, we have done is after repairing everything we decided we paint all the walls so you don't see any trace of those cracks anymore and people say i'm feeling safe again this is my home again and you made it even more beautiful than it was and it, it reminded me a little bit of of the words of, of jesus christ where he says that he will make all things new he says that in a revelation and um in, in in a way you could see it there everything was made new and of course it's it's only a house it's only an apartment but then seeing the joy of those christian families that that yeah got some hope again and that's what they also said you gave us hope again and yeah you know our organization stands for strengthening what remains in 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 syria most of the christians uh, of that were living there before the war they left so there are just over 600,000 or around 600,000 left of the 1.8 million. So we want, uh, we hope that they will stay and that they will have sufficient hope and um, expectations for the future, future to be there. And, and when a house is repaired, it's their safe place. It's their safe haven. During the war, they felt the house is the only safe place to be. You could hide in the bathroom when there were bombings. And during the earthquake, that, that feeling was lost. 
at that moment they they felt oh even our house is not safe anymore and then bringing them back to a place where nothing reminds them of the earthquake i think is really important and it's good that we did it yeah no it's so profound especially because the church in syria have been through so much they've been through a civil war, as you mentioned, an oppressive government, economic challenges, natural disasters, and now, uh, you know, the, the, the earthquake and persecution. Could you maybe summarize the impact of these challenges on the church in Syria? I mean, it's hard for, you know, people like me in Australia to comprehend the compound impact, I guess, of all of those challenges on hope. And, you know, it would be really tempting to leave. Um, what is the state of the church in Syria and, and, and how, how are they holding up? Now, the state of the church, of course, is affected by by what has happened in all those years and as i said many 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 christians have left the country for ex- example i spoke a young uh, woman i think around 30 years old and she told of my um, uh, high school class i was in a class with 40 uh, students christian school of the 40 there are only six left in the country the rest is gone. And that's that's a little bit what the impact on churches is. They they went to church with people they knew, they grow up with, and now those people are gone. When you look around, when you have your birthday party or so, and uh, believe me, in Syria, many people don't have any option to, to celebrate a birthday or whatever party because they have no money. But if they would do, all their friends wouldn't come because they are not there. And that has an impact on the churches and, and on the mood of the people. Um, 90% of all Syrians is living under the poverty line. And what does that mean? They have nothing. They, the, the money over there right now is worth nothing. Uh, most of the families I heard, I asked, well, what do you earn? Just to have an idea why they were not able to repair the houses themselves with their savings, because that's what we would do in in Australia or the Netherlands. And they said, we earn 15 US dollars, an equivalent, of course, not not, they don't get dollars in Syria, but $15 a month. That's it. A month. A month, yes. And that, that works for two days, maybe for food. And that's, that's it. So they really survive on what they get from churches, from from other people, from organizations. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there anymore. They wouldn't simply survive. And that, that's the situation of the people in the churches. They, they do their utmost to give hope and to help the people. They open their places. They try to organize activities. They often serve some food. Um, because that's the only thing that that people make of makes people yeah survive it's bare surviving for many and that's that's when you 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 travel around when you visit the houses you you can see it you see that that in all those years nothing has been renewed or nothing has been bought so all the furniture everything is old the clothes are old the 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 sofas in houses the beds the blankets 
everything. You see old-fashioned stuff there, all those old big televisions uh, of the past that, that weigh whatever, how many kilos. That's what you see when they're still working. They have no electricity, so often just one hour a day. Um, now, everything, it's, it's, it's very depressing. And then it is amazing that people grasp hope from what they see through the church. They, they really see that, that the church and we as organizations are the hands and the feet of God and, and that we're coming to them, helping them and, and somehow um, giving them uh, another perspective that God is still there and still has everything under control. Although the situation seems so, so hopeless, humanly speaking. That is actually devastating to hear, um, you know, 15, the equivalent of 15 US dollars for a month and just that sense of just constant hunger and constantly not feeling like you have enough and uh, just disappointment. I'm sure that that's just a common feeling and experience. And yet I heard that when the earthquake happened, um, that the churches became these places of sanctuary uh, for people, that they just threw open their doors and they were taking people in and giving them food and water and blankets and shelter because it was in the middle of winter that all of this happened. It was so cold. It was just bitterly cold. And knowing now what you've just shared, I guess, about the scarcity of these things, I think that makes it even more uh, powerful the fact that they were able to to offer these you know emergency supplies and and food and and blanket because it wasn't like they were giving out of um, an abundance maybe like the churches in in Australia or the Netherlands or New Zealand would they're giving out of um, out of scarcity out of desperation and oh my gosh that is just so powerful yeah. Yeah, from the, from the earthquake on, and that, that was really beautiful. I heard one church leader now telling me, it was in Latakia, he said, I woke up with the earthquake and I ran down the stairs. Of course, he was scared himself too. And then I saw all those people coming to the church and I thought, what am I going to do? But he thought, yeah, the only thing I can do is just open the church building and have these people in here. And then he called to our partner in, in the country. And, and of course, we already had contact with them. And he said, can you help? And of course, our organization said, yes, we can. So immediately we had money available for the churches and um, people could have food, blankets, mattresses and whatever. And and really that that that. That's what they needed at that moment. Many people said now to me when I visited last uh, weeks, they said it was for us the safest place and the only place where we wanted to be at that moment. Although one woman said we were laying on the on the floors, sleeping there with 53 persons like sardines in a can. Uh, it was crowded, of course, but still. Uh, it was for them the safest place because it was ground floor. Uh, even uh, the aftershocks wouldn't um, down off a, a break such a building. Instead of their high apartment, uh, high apartments on the fifth or sixth floor or whatever. 
So, yeah, so it, it was really amazing. The first days we, we helped some, some 14,000 people that were really uh, hosted in the churches and got food and, and whatever supply just before they were able to, to find another place to sleep with family, with friends or whatever. Just the absolute love of the pastor as well. Uh, there was one pastor apparently that uh, he, he wouldn't go to sleep. He just sat in a plastic chair out the front of his church and made sure he greeted every single person that came in. And like you said, he was probably scared himself. He was tired and, and, and hungry and, you know, scared. But, but he made sure that, um, you know, he was, he was there to greet every single person and to be with them in their, in their struggle. And I just feel like that is absolutely the church um in its most beautiful is the body of christ like uh you know the hands and feet of jesus actually being lived out uh in in a really really dark chapter for for syria and i mean the world watch list 2024 was just released syria came in at number 13 on the world watch list which is incredibly high and I feel like this is largely due to the state of government or do Christians feel social pressure as well? Where, where, where's that persecution coming from that brings them to such a high number on the world watch list? Yeah. Um, no, for sure not in the first place from the government, although the government put restrictions on, on um the churches in a way that they cannot preach to, to um, Muslims or whatever. But the churches in itself, the, the, the traditional churches in the country, they are a quite of a kind of free. Uh, even the president would sell off with, would um, congratulate them uh, with, with Christmas, for example, or, or things like that. But um, there is this movement of, um, believers from a Muslim background, people who become Christians and they, they go to house churches or, or they are welcome in some of the, the, the existing churches with high risks uh, to the church. And they face problems. They are often rejected by their families. They could be um, threatened to be killed. They could lose their jobs. They often have to flee from their village and, and try to find um, a place to live somewhere else. So for, for converts, um, Syria isn't a nice place to be. For Christians who were born in a Christian family, it's not that big a problem, although they have to, to, to yeah, refrain from, from preaching the gospel to, to people with a non-Christian background. But those who convert, they have high issues. And that's the reason why this country always is high on, on the list. Yeah, right. And do you feel that kind of pressure when you come as, you know, as a tourist, I guess you're coming to help the church, but there wouldn't be that many people from outside Syria, I guess, that are in Syria. You told me you've been seven times. Um, what, what's your actual experience like in the country? Uh, do you feel that the social pressures, do you feel any kind of skepticism? Do you, are you received with warmth and hospitality? What, what's that experience like? That, that's very different. You, you, 
I am received very well by all the Christians. Of course, they, they welcome you as a visitor. Uh, the, the Middle Eastern culture is amazingly hospitable. They, they, they always want to offer you something, although they have nothing, they, they want to offer you something. And they receive you well uh, as if you're a good friend. Um, but um, you know that 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 uh, a foreigner attracts of uh, attention, and uh, it is um, how do you say it? Yeah, Syria is a state where where which is uh, severely controlled by the government, and yeah, you're aware of that everywhere. That people are hanging out on places that that you know that they observe. Um, the streets, the people, where people go, they know um, where what I am doing in a way, and they follow it. So that that feels creepy because in in my country I don't feel that I don't have the feeling that that the police or whoever is watching me over there it is. Although personally I didn't face any issue with that, but you see that it's happening and uh, yeah, the people there who live there, they know and they, they tell me, okay, look, this person and that and, like, and so on. Yeah, so, so you I have guess to be, be careful. Yeah, so I guess for Christians who are living there, that would get really tiring and wearing, just constantly feeling that, that um, you know, just that being watched, that kind of pressure. Um, and as you were mentioning before, Christians in Syria are, you know, many of them are leaving. Many of them um, are, are trying to to go places where they they feel that little bit freer, where they they you know can earn more of an income and you know they they can live a different life. And, and that's not isolated to Syria. One of the most significant trends that our persecution analysts have drawn out from the World Watch list was that Christians are feeling less and less at home in the Middle East and North Africa more widely. So in Syria but also in uh, a number of other countries. Can you tell us a little bit more about that uh what's happening I guess in the Middle East and North Africa and and what that means for the church in in that region? Now, there's um, this, this difference between churches because in, in, in the Levant, uh, in Syria, Iraq, uh, Jordan, and Palestine, in, even in Egypt, there is a big traditional church. So there has always been a church that was a kind of accepted by the government. And you have the, the North Africa and uh, the, the Arabian Peninsula church that's only um, of of believers from a Muslim background, so people who converted. So that, that's different. But in general, people feel that in a Muslim majority country, they are not completely free. They're not totally welcome. They don't, for sure, don't have the same opportunities and chances as um, a Muslim would have in those countries. Many jobs are not uh, available for them. Um, when they go to the police, often the police wouldn't care, even when they were um, uh, uh, threatened or, or beaten up or whatever. All that kind of things add, and, and they, they, they are they're already happening for, for years, for ages, and that makes that people at the end 
get the feeling, what am I doing here? They hear stories from those who fled to the West that yeah, they, they build up a reasonable life there. They have their own churches in, in the Western countries where they freely can can meet with each other. And that that's that makes people wanting to leave. And it's it's incident after incident. And sometimes it's not even an incident that has directly a persecution angle, an example in, in Iraq in September last year, there was this disaster in Karakosh in the Nineveh plain, a mainly Christian town. There was a fire in a wedding hall and there was a Christian wedding happening at that moment. More than 130 persons were killed in that fire. And of course, this was a spontaneous and accidental uh, incident, but still Christians feel this even is against us. And uh, they think in, in the beginning that that's quite common in the Middle East. They, they say maybe it was intentional and maybe it was this and that. Um, but it gives the feeling, oh, yet another thing happens to us and yet another thing that the government doesn't really do a thing about it because there were failures uh, with the government. They, they didn't really monitor the security of those halls in the Christian areas. And there's a lot of corruption over there. So they have the feeling, okay, even the, the people guilty of this, even the people who uh, didn't uh, obey the legislation in the country, they are not um, um, prosecuted now by, by nobody. They just get away with it. And that makes people feel, oh, yet another thing. After we had ISIS, after we had so many wars, after we had attacks on our shops, on our churches, they they just can't handle it anymore. And that that's in Syria, of course, too, when... when they had the war, they thought, okay, when, when the war is over, everything will get better. But then this, this economic crisis came and still the war is not totally over. There's still fighting ongoing in some parts of the country, but they thought it will get better. But then they're in this economic crisis that they've never seen before. It was a rich country. And then this earthquake comes. Uh, so... People think thing after thing happen here, and now now you see the whole the, all the wars going on, uh, the, not the war in Gaza, Israel. That gives them also a feeling of insecurity. Um, the people in Lebanon, the Christians in Lebanon, the the Christians in in Syria, they feel every moment it could uh, spill over to our places, and what will it look like for us as Christians as a minority? That that's a little bit the feeling of so many people. That um, yeah, it's incident after incident. It's thing after thing, and pressure just just yeah, growing on them. It's so devastating to hear, really, um, because you're right. It, it comes from so many sides, not just from persecution, uh, but also economically. Uh, you know, the instability of, of the government, uh, the threat of war, 
uh, it's, it's really devastating. And like you said, there is uh, more instability in the Middle East uh, even now. You and I actually got a chance to connect when uh, events started to unfold in Israel and Gaza. And you've actually been closely connected with the church in Gaza since the war started on the 7th of October. It's still going uh, all these months later. What is the state of the church in Gaza? Do you have any recent updates? Most of the Christians are still hiding out in, in the churches in Gaza City. They did not leave and they didn't have an option to leave in a way because they, they have no safe place in, in, in the rest of the Gaza Strip where they could go to. So the churches try their utmost to help those people to to at least provide uh, in food, in, in, in healthy water and that kind of things. They have their church services uh, going on. They, they pray in the churches. But yeah, being there for almost four, no, four months, almost there now, that's horrible. It's it's not real life. They don't feel secure. Several Christians died because they, they left the church building. They, they ran to their homes to get something if their home still was standing and then were shot in the street or... or it's 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 really devastating for our brothers and sisters who are still there. They can't go anywhere. They can't leave uh, Gaza because the borders are closed, of course. And in a way, they don't want to leave because that that it's their place. It's their city. It's their life. And um, yeah, yeah, you know that the, the fighting is ongoing. Uh, there are bombardments. Um, in, in areas of the Gaza Strip almost daily. Um, this week they fired rockets again towards Israel. So this is not an incident of an, a war that's over uh, already. It's, yeah, we really need to continue to pray for our brothers and sisters over there because we can't imagine how hard this uh, must be and how threatening and how scary and how difficult. What are the kinds of things that they're asking us to, to pray for? I mean, honestly, uh, at this point, at the point of recording, I mean, hopefully by the time this gets released, uh, you know, there's some kind of breakthrough. But, you know, right now it feels really heartbreaking and really hopeless. What what are they asking us to pray for? How can we pray for them? In the, in, in the first place, of course, that the whole violence will stop, that that the war will stop and, and that both sides just quit from, from using violence and killing other uh, innocent people because that's, that's the problem with all those, those wars. So many people who have nothing to do with the main cause of the conflict die also in, in such a thing. So that that will end and that they somehow will be... Uh, uh, that justice will be done, that that there will be a, a righteous solution and an enduring solution for this whole conflict so that they can build their lives again without being afraid that tomorrow it can escalate again. That's mainly what they would like us to pray for. Yeah, no, we can definitely pray for that. We'll pray for that um, later in our conversation. We're connected with the church in Gaza uh, because 
through local partners, we have been working with the church in Gaza because they face persecution. Um, they're uh, in the top 75, but not in the top 50 of the World Watch list. And we've actually seen Israel rise on the World Watch list as well, even though it's not published in the top 50, but it is in the top 75, which is up from last year because last year it didn't even make the top 75. Um, so now all all three, uh, you know, the Palestinian territory, so Gaza and the West Bank and Israel are, are both in the top 75 on the World Watch list. Can you tell us a little bit about the impact of persecution on the church of Israel on the church in Israel uh, and the Palestinian territories and maybe what's led to this rise in in persecution yeah the the, the rise of of Israel itself and that that is I think for many people kind of surprising um, is that there have been a growing number of incidents against Christians in um, Israel in the past year so um, what type of incidents? Sometimes it's very simple, let's say it like that, uh, spitting at, at clergy uh, in the streets, uh, naming them in, in the streets. But some of the, the, the clerics who, who walk as, as priests or, or uh, pastors, so, so they're recognizable as Christians. Uh, some were beaten up. Um, that the, there has been blockades to to enter church uh, buildings when the church service would start. Uh, buildings have been um, uh, vandalized of Christian uh, churches. Um, recently, there was a, a mob that that they really attacked a group of Christians in the street, wounding uh, several. And that mainly comes from the the the, the very orthodox uh, Jewish uh, people. So it's not a general thing. You cannot say that the whole of, of the country uh, is against the Christians. No, but there's this this significant uh, tiny radical um, uh, group of of uh, Jewish people who, who really do those attacks, and that that's really. Um, yeah, embarrassing the church, but also yeah, gives creates fear in 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 society. So thank God nobody was killed uh, or so. But people say that it has to do with the the more right wing government uh, that the country right now has, and that people uh, think they easier get away with this kind of things. Although the government itself, the, even the, the the Israeli president last year, he has uh, outspoken against this type of um, behavior, and uh, he says that that the Christians are citizens like everyone in in Israel and have the right to to yeah have their own uh, beliefs and religion. So it is a minority, but it's happening in the country, and and that's yeah. That's the reason. Um, in in the Palestinian uh, areas, um, the the that's likewise in the rest of the Levant. The traditional church is accepted. They they are just part of society. The issue again is with people who convert, who become Christians, who become a follower of Jesus. They are uh, not safe. They run a high risk of, of being killed. Um, there are 
those this type of believers in in Gaza there exist also in the West Bank they often are not that welcome in the traditional churches so they have to gather in secret they have to connect with other Christians online or or whatever so for them uh, the pressure is very high and they run big risks and yeah as everywhere in the Middle East people continue to uh, to convert it's not that it's it's millions or hundred thousands but it's happening and it's happening in in the Palestinian territories and in Israel too and they those people face uh, yeah most um, how do you say it resistance or or consequences yeah that's it and one of the things that I guess is so important in places like this is that the Christians stay so they, they can continue to, sh- to, to share the gospel. They continue yeah. to share that that hope. Um, but, wow, it must be so challenging to know that in sharing the gospel uh, that the person, should they give their life to Jesus, inherits just such a depth of uh, rejection from family and friends. Um, but it is really important that that uh, Christians stay in the Middle East. It's where, uh, you know, it was it was born. Um, it was born in the Middle East. Uh, and it, it's essentially a, a Middle Eastern faith. And yet we are seeing this um, really devastating exodus of Christians from the Middle East. Um, we do a lot of work, I guess, around helping uh, you know, to to give people what they need to keep following Jesus and to stay in some of the most dangerous places in the world, and because um, because we have them, uh, because they 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 choose to remain, we actually have uh, you know these outposts of uh, of faith of the body of Christ present in some of the most dangerous parts of the world. Can you maybe tell us a little bit about some of the work that's being done to try and encourage Christians or give them the support that they need in, in order to actually stay um, in, in some of these places where they face just immense persecution and, and opposition? Yeah, in the first place, of course, what, what encourages them is knowing that there are people caring for them, praying for them. So that 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 already is of big support. When we go to them, visit them, sit with them and 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 pray and, and try to encourage from from the word that 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 is of huge help. But we do more. We offer uh, all kind of trainings, uh, for example, for new believers, discipleship training, but also for the traditional Christians. this this is very important because in the tradition of the Orthodox and the Catholic churches, the use of the Bible is not that was not that promoted in the past and now they're really discovering the richness of of reading uh, the bible and and trying to to live it out so that's that's something that we try to offer to to as much as possible churches uh, we do leadership training as i said so many people have left so new leaders have to stand up um, and and to take care of the churches so we offer this type of uh, courses we have um, what we call persecution preparedness courses to prepare people for whatever could happen. We know in the Bible, Jesus says that we will be persecuted. So it's not something that's not normal. It, 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 sad enough, it's, it's something that will happen to us. So we can 
be prepared for that. Um, we do also quite a bit of, of um, practical help, um, like income generating projects. As I said, in most of the, those countries, people could lose their jobs because they are Christians or have less opportunities because they are Christian. And when you give them their own business, then they can maintain their own family on their own strength and, and power. And that's really happening in, in Syria, in, in Iraq. We, we, we started many of those um, small businesses that are very successful. And so people have their future more or less in their own hands. Um, we have courses for youth, for, for children's workers. We, we, we create activities for children in, in summertime, for example, we, we, we sponsored camps for them. Why? Because they don't go in holidays like, like we do in, in many Western countries. They, they don't have a lot of fun in life. And when they go on a, a, a Christian retreat, they do sports, they do games, and they get, of course, a Christian message. So it helps them to, to embrace being Christian, but also see that, that there are nice things happening in their lives too through the churches and through the help of other people. So that kind of stuff we're doing and it's making a difference. That's that's for sure. You can see it when you walk around, when you listen to, to the people, this helps and this gives, uh, yeah, at least a little bit of hope. It's actually just, I think, based on everything that you shared with me before, hearing things like that, I think it helps me to realize the, the actual impact it has because, you know, like you were sharing, they, they live with such destitution and desperation so much of their life and so small things mean so much and I think sometimes it's easy for people like me or, you know, maybe our listeners to feel like, oh, I don't have much, you know, uh, what, what does $20 do? What, what, what kind of impact that does that have? Um, but then when you think about the fact that, you know, in, in Syria, they, you know, their income for the month is 15 US dollars, the impact of, you know, going on a youth camp or, discipleship where they can you know get in the same room as each other and worship together or even you know like you said the leadership training um you know I just was recently reading about um how a, they got a, a bunch of youth pastors together um in an area where most most don't know any other pastors they don't know um any other youth pastors um and they got to actually get together and talk about, you know, what, what they're doing in, in their youth groups and what the, what the challenges are and pray together. And, you know, all this stuff that people like me just absolutely take for granted has such a huge impact uh, for, for these people. It's just so um, heartwarming. And I hope um, to our beautiful listeners that this really encourages you, um, that your prayers matter, your prayers are making a difference, your support makes such a huge difference. Um, you're actually genuinely changing lives. And Matthew was just there and he was able to meet them and see it. And yeah, it's just really profound. Look, 
Matthew, I really would love to talk to you forever. I honestly, any excuse to to uh, pick your brains and hear some stories about the Middle East, I just absolutely love it. Uh, we ask all of our guests uh, if you could pray one passage of scripture, uh, what would it be? So, if you could pray any passage of scripture over the Middle East and North Africa, uh, what passage would it be, and and why? Well. Um one that I love is uh, Psalm 46. It starts with God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. And although you, with our human eyes, we often don't see it happening. And, and when when there's so much suffering uh, for the Christians in the Middle East, we, we think, where is God? Where is their refuge? But he is a refuge and a strength and he's always present and that's so beautiful to know and that's such a assurance for for us and for them that he is there he is reliable and he does what he promises and yeah that's what this psalm is about and it's it, it talks about things happening around them uh, the, the, through its Though its waters roar and foam and, and the mountains quake, and that's even quite literally what happened in in Syria. Um, but still, the Lord Almighty is with us, says the psalmist. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes wars cease. And that kind of texts are in this psalm. And, and that's really what I pray for, um, yeah, those peoples. And at the end... Uh, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalt, exalted among the nations. So also among the Syrians, about, among the Iraqi, about the Jordanians, about, no, yeah, among the North Africans. I will be exalted in the earth. And that's at the end what will happen. God will be exalted. All the nations will come to him and and bow down for him. That's That's our future. And that's something that that they can hold on to, although sometimes you don't see it, but it's reality. It's what the Bible teaches us. It's truth. And, and God tells us, yeah, he is our fortress. That's so beautiful. What a passage. And, you know, it's it's. You know, like the scripture says, this war is not against flesh and blood. You know, it's a spiritual battle, um, and we all we we know that that Christ has won, that He's victorious, and um, so we can pray that, even though it feels so different. Our reality feels really different, maybe to you know, God is our uh, our refuge and our fortress, our ever present help in times of trouble. We can. Uh, declare it because we know that that it's true would you pray for us Matthew would you just pray uh for for us for our listeners um uh you know and and for our brothers and sisters in places like Gaza as you mentioned and Israel and uh for our brothers and sisters in uh Iraq like Karakosh like you mentioned um and and of course uh Syria would, would you just pray for us to close sure Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth that you are the always present and almighty God, that you are our fortress. And Lord, that goes for people in Australia, that goes for people in New Zealand, in the Netherlands, but for sure it goes for the people in, in the Middle East, in North Africa, on the Arabian Peninsula. But Lord, thank you that you are um, a God that doesn't 
abandon a Lord that um, does what he promises, a Lord who um, ends what he started to do. Lord, and you created your church in the Middle East. There it, there it all started. And we're sure that you're not going to abandon them, that you're continuing to carry all those Christians in your hands also on those days that they don't feel it anymore and they feel hopeless. But thank you, Lord, how you through the churches gave hope and how you gave hope through all those faithful prayers, faithful donations from, from all over the world. For example, to those earthquake victims in, in Syria. Lord, I could see on the faces of people how this brought them hope and how this gave them joy again. And I thank you so much for that because that's that's only possible through you because you are taking care of those people. You are uh, guiding us in how to help um, people in the Middle East. Lord, I pray that, um, yeah, that what we've shared today, what, what was shared today about the situation in the Middle East will only motivate um, the Christians, the listeners of, of this uh, podcast to pray more and uh, to to really dig into this topic of what um, it means to be persecuted for your faith in, in the Middle East. Lord, thank you for all those faithful Christians in, in Syria, in Jordan, in Israel, in the Palestinian territories, and even in this this place, Gaza, where where there's so much violence. Lord, thank you that there is a church and thank you that there are people that every day bow their knees for you and try um, yeah, to be salt and light in, in that place of, of violence and of despair. Lord, please strengthen your church and help them to stand strong and to survive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Matthew. It's been such a privilege to be able to sit with you and hear such fresh stories from Syria. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us on The Whole Story. This podcast is brought to you by the Ministry of Open Doors, strengthening believers who suffer for their faith around the world. We pray this episode brought you closer to your brothers and sisters who follow Jesus around the world. For more info and for the latest updates from the field, head to our website, opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you again next time.